Today's episode is brought to you by Oddball. If you're ever curious about diving deeper in the world of Finance Freddy's, but are a bit wary when it comes to horror games, there's no better option than the sinister novellas of the Fazbear Fright series. Personally, I enjoyed the book series at the Novel Trilogy, and it contains some of my favorite symbolic storytelling in the series. To get your free 30-day trial and free audiobook, click the link in the description below or go to audibletrial.com slash into the night. After finishing this episode, I highly recommend giving the first book, Into the Pit, a listen. If not just for the fact that its name inspired our show's own, then at least skip to the final story of Count the Ways, which is by far the most compelling, dark, and emotionally resonating story ever to be written in this franchise. Once again, that's audibletrial.com slash into the night, or the link in the description below to claim a free 30-day trial and free audiobook. And now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Into the Night, a Finance of Freddy's podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and thank you for listening. The year is 2023 in the small town of Hurricane, Utah. On the surface, it was no different from any other small town in the United States. The people were affable and polite, the culture was an old-fashioned and filled with Western charm. And the worst thing a police officer would have to deal with was probably the local drunk or kids playing baseball in an elderly man's lawn. Unfortunately, if you are a young adult, you might find the entire small town feel a bit... dull. The charm of an idolized small town lost on children and young adults, and the internet, TV, and video games can only fill a child's appetite for interest for so long. Eventually, children may begin to yearn for something bigger, something energetic, and something more. Or perhaps something spontaneous or interesting to even happen around them in the boring small town for once. The only amount of controversy that is happening is the construction of a new restaurant in the area. A small business called Freddy Fazbear's Pizza Place. Apparently, it was a brand that the parents were very familiar with, and were euphoric with nostalgia and the chance to share with their kids the special feeling you get when you wander into a Freddy Fazbear's pizzeria. Back in the 80s and 90s, it was the hangout spot of the decade. It had the latest arcade games, and amazing atmosphere, taste desserts, and fascinating mascot entertainers. The only real criticism you can give the place was its main food offering. The pizza, which most perceived on the stale side, the tomato sauce was a bit too sweet, the cheese a little too burnt, and Earl tasted like cardboard sprinkled with parmesan and tomato paste. The children were interested, the parents were nostalgic, but it was surprising the elders of the family who were wary. They brought up their concern to the restaurant's apparent history, a history filled with fraudulent behavior and destructive negligence, referencing what the papers reported as the missing children incident, where five children went missing and were never found on the property, as evidence of the important nature of that place. The controversy would mean the incoming business for the location would be slow, and Freddy Fazbear's Pizza Place will have to earn the trust of local residents before they become a successful business. It wouldn't be easy. With the brand's history, not to mention the lack of presence of the location's apparent restaurant owner and manager, like a knockoff version of Willy Wonka, nobody knew him or saw him. Nobody knew who he was or what he was like. Apparently he had been born and raised in Hurricane and knew the town very well. Besides that tidbit of information, the man was a complete enigma. The restaurant was a small venture, only a room, a stage, and a few tables, but the atmosphere and characterization of the place was undoubtedly Freddy's. Some local businesses even considered sponsoring the location, believing the operation to be a legitimate business, and were willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. Which was exactly what the owner had planned for. Not to earn sponsorships, but to seem legitimate and real. You see, the owner was indeed a resident of Hurricane. He was in a resident in the 80s and 90s when the country's surrounding fast entertainment was at its peak, and knew full well the reputation the business had. He knew the reputation of Freddy Fazbear's commonly corrupt appearance and lackadaisical attitude and safety regulations. He knew about the bodies that were buried there, but it was necessary. Necessary, if he was to achieve his goals. 
Phasma Entertainment, after their unprompt revival, after the destruction of Phasma Fright a few months ago, was looking for an investor to take the plunge and create a brand new location for their brand. It was suspicious, perhaps a bit too suspicious. And if anyone needed to take the job, it had to be him. For he not only knew the dangers that could present those who could take the job, but he also understood the opportunity the job represented. The ability to get them all in one place. His father, his sister, and his childhood friend. The owner of the Freddy Fazbear's Pizza Place is none other than Michael Afton, who has returned to his hometown to finally find the last remaining monsters of the Fazbear legacy and put them to rest. This is episode 9. Where fantasy and fun come to die. Seven chapters, seven souls, seven for the nightmare to take a hold. Michael's entrepreneurial venture begins in earnest. Opening his business on Monday, Michael has only $100 to his name after purchasing the Fazbear Entertainment franchise package. But included in that package are all the amenities one could need to run a successful restaurant. A small building includes some tables, some pizza, and electricity. No animatronics, arcade games, or rides included. Those come out of his paycheck. Absolutely supply. Michael was given a familiar device though, a modified hand unit to help him in his managerial responsibilities, called Tutorial Unit. Practically the same device, except Tutorial Unit seems to have a bit more of an assertive personality and is not afraid to rag on Michael as hand unit was previously. Under his instruction, Michael begins to build his restaurant despite his shoestring budget, and with it he is able to make a… decent locale. He starts out with the plates and utensils. Well, colorful plastic plates and utensils. He buys himself a few attractions like a ball pit. Well, really it's a cardboard box filled with cheap plastic balls. And he even buys a stage to fill with animatronic entertainers. Well, not really animatronics and also not really entertainers. Really, Mike just buys cobbled together trash from dumpsters divers weekly, like Pan Stan, literally a plank of wood with a pan for a face. Or Mr. Hugs, a vacuum with googly eyes and a pair of hands duct taped on the side. It was functional for the most part, and functional was all Michael needed. Perhaps as the days would go on, he could afford some better amenities and robots, but currently all he needed was the word of the place out if his goal was to be accomplished. So after polishing, maintenance testing, and coin rigging every attraction Michael had installed, he opens his door to the public and welcomes them to Freddy Fazbear's Pizza Place. Your kingdom is left in shambles. Gone is the light of day. The five who corrupted this land leave their caves to come out and play. While patrons enjoy the pizzeria on the main floor, Michael retreats himself to his basement office. The metallic office is claustrophobic in its design, with low ceilings and steel walls on the floors. The main desk is on the farthest side, where rests a computer terminal from the 80s, more than likely a cost-saving measure on either Michael or Fazbear Entertainment's part. On the ceiling is an air-conditioned unit that is inactive, and to his left and right are two conjoining air vents large enough for a human to crawl through with ease. Dart around the office included drawings done by various children. An odd detail since the location had just opened. There's a high likelihood that the location either included the drawings, the majority include the main animatronics of Freddy Fazer, Bonnie, Chica, and Foxy, albeit stylized with stars on their chests. Another drawing was a black-furred Freddy with red accessories and purple spirals and stars surrounding it, as well as a picture of a demented smiling clown with red hair and green eyes. An old man took five orphans in, gave them a bed to rest in quiet heads. 
filled with gladness, his children were cured of sadness, till a burglar left their throats and shreds. As Michael begins to get himself situated, the touring unit chimes in on the intercom system. Your restaurant is now officially open. Awesome! That doesn't mean your job is finished, however. You have a lot of work to do while patrons eat their pizza in the other room. From your terminal, you have supplies to buy, papers to print, and repairs to make. Once you've taken care of all the items on your to-do list, you can log off for the day and get out of there. Now, onto other matters. Something to be aware of is that the ventilation system and your terminal are pretty loud and may prevent you from hearing things in adjoining air vents. That won't be a problem if there is nothing in the vents. However, if you feel that something might be in the vents, you have a few tools at your disposal to protect yourself. You can shut off your terminal and the ventilation system at any time to decrease the amount of attention you are drawing to yourself. Also, shining your light directly into a vent will most likely prevent anything from jumping out. You also have three tools available from the terminal itself. There is a motion detector, an audio decoy, and a secondary ventilation unit. Keep in mind, however, that you can only have one of these active at any given time. Now get to it. Simply log off when you've completed your tasks for the day, and you can go get some coffee. It was a simple enough task, but Michael had a wry smile the entire time he was working. Like a man who understands an inside joke, he knew that deep down these devices were to help the manager maintain focus. It was for whoever was down here to maintain their life. At this point, Michael was a veteran at this job, having taken the night guard shift numerous times in search for his father and the others. Even back in 1993, he took the job under the alias of Mike Schmidt to investigate the supernatural within. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it's probably because you heard it back in episode 2 of the MCI arc part 1. Yes, Michael Afton is Mike Schmidt just simply using an alias to hide his identity, especially his last name. This is actually all discussed in one of the more curious entries in the series, The Survival Logbook, which is Michael Afton's highly modified and cynical journal using a company-given night guard logbook. What we can't get to such a topic now is that entire book is worth an episode all to itself. It is important to note that Michael is quite experienced with dealing with the supernatural at this point. Fox lurks in the shadows, hunting for the rabbits of his kin. He will continue to walk the earth till he forgives himself for his sin. But for now, he's just doing what he has to do to keep his business facade alive, ordering supplies and financing maintenance work using company-provided petty cash. The only work that needs a human a small note, and one that, I'll be honest, is only theoretical. But there is a lot to indicate that Michael is the only employee at the Freddy Fazbear's Pizza Place. It would make sense. After all, this business is only a complete front, and Michael had barely enough cash to even create an even unfunctional restaurant. So I doubt he had any extra money lying around for another pair of hands. I know there isn't anything to completely prove this, but... Seeing as Fasman Entertainment in the not-so-near future would utilize robotic service robots to serve guests, it does indicate that there is a possibility that Michael may have designed the place to be completely automated, so he can slink away when it is opened and nobody has to see him. Reminder, Michael Apton was and most likely still a reanimated purple corpse by this point in time, so him wanting to hide away from the public would be very high in Michael's priorities. Regardless, Michael's able to successfully take care of all his managerial duties without incident and log out for the day. Great job! It looks like you're getting the hang of this. Now let's just focus on getting you through your first week. There's a big party here Saturday, and you should view that day as your ultimate test. Make it through Saturday and you will have proven yourself as the successful entrepreneur that we all know you can be. Five are left broken or withered. 
find source benefit for a man. By the end of the week, no longer will be. The hermit will break the chain. Late at night, during the graveyard shift, Michael begins to make the rounds to clean up his pizzeria for tomorrow. Gathering and throwing away trash, cleaning dishes, and maintaining his attraction to the best of his ability. Before he can go home, there is one last task he must do. A special obligation he is required to complete from his contract with Fazbear Entertainment. Michael opens up his back doorways to the alley outside, wind rushing through the small corridor filled with trash and grime. The storm above rumbled, then thunder struck, and the patter of rain darted the ground in every direction. Michael took a quick glance by the dumpster, hoping for anything that met his required duties. But nothing was there. Mike turned around to go back inside before spotting something in the trash cans by the doorway. Large pile of metallic like tubes and wires pulled up in a small nest by the trash can. Multicolored eyes were spread across the body of wires haphazardly. All of them stared back at him with a look of recognition. Michael recognized it too, and he didn't need the makeshift free Fazbear mask to help make it out. Or, should I say, Fun Time Freddy. It wasn't one-to-one, -one, but it was close enough. It had the cheeks and the top hat, but it was rusty and held together with bolts, screws, and reclaimed metal. It was missing its right eye, and the left eye glowed bright yellow like the sun. And instead of the normal blocky, cartoon teeth, it had been replaced with sharp, jagged teeth, almost like quills, covering with remnants of dried blood. It was Ender. The hybrid robot that disemboweled him decades ago and wore him like a skin puppet. It seems time had done a number on it, as it no longer had any form of working body. All that was left of it was a pool of wires with the Freddy mask thrown on top. Noticeably, the inner conglomerate was missing its original leader. Michael looked for a pair of green emerald eyes that belonged to Circus Baby. Couldn't spot it. It seems. The conglomeration had chosen a new leader, or perhaps someone took an opportunity for a hostile takeover. Whatever the case, Funtime Freddy was the dominant mind now for Ennard. Fittingly, it also went by a new name, Molten Freddy. While there was little Michael feared, he admitted that the monster had gotten under his skin in more ways than one. But he knew he was going to have to face these monsters again. This was his mission regardless of his special obligations. So he dragged the creature inside the restaurant to begin his examination. They gathered behind the fabrication the monsters of the dead. The calls they made and there they laid waiting to be led. the mechanical monstrosity on the chair next to him, the best of his ability, before going to the other side of the interview table, he grabbed a cassette tape by the wall. It was apparently loaded with instructions that he had to follow to the letter when undergoing his special obligation procedures. He placed it right next to his filing paper, which Michael noticed was almost rudimentary in questions and design. Rarely looked legal in order to have the appearance of a professional business, but perhaps that was the artist of Michael talking. He was always a fan of the visual arts. Michael turned towards his cassette tape and hit play. Congratulations on completing your first day. However, your job isn't over just yet. There is another aspect to your end-of-day routine. And that is inspecting and salvaging any animatronics found in the alley outside the back door. Things are found here quite often, and while we aren't sure why, what we do know is that they can be used for parts, which can mean a much-needed revenue boost before starting your next day. Of course, as with everything else in this line of work, 
Those benefits come with risk. The safest thing to do is to throw it back outside, but then you get no money for the salvage. Choose to keep it, and you run the risk of certain negative consequences, namely death, should the item in question not be as docile as it first appeared. If you do decide to try to salvage it, then you must complete the maintenance checklist. During this testing phase, check on the animatronic frequently. If you feel that it is becoming unstable, use the taser provided to you. You can use it three times without damaging the hardware. Every use over three, however, will decrease the item's salvage value. Please make your choice now. While the player is given the option to either salvage or throw the animatronic away, Michael canonically will always choose to salvage every robot he finds in the back alley. In a future episode, we will go over the other possible endings Michael can acquire during the events of FFPS, but for this episode, we'll follow the true story of events. So, Michael chooses to proceed with the salvage. You have chosen to proceed with the maintenance checklist. Remember, use your company-issued taser to return the animatronic to a neutral state if you feel that it's becoming unstable or aggressive. First we file is the devil child lost his soul to decadence. Humans he defiled left beguiled. The wicked smile malevolence. Begin audio prompt in three, two, one. Cassette tape played nests of circus music. As Michael observed the animatronic atrocity for reaction, he occasionally glanced down to take notes. Occasionally, he noticed the once tilted head of Fonte Freddy started to straighten around. Michael ready his taser as he continued his duties. Eventually, Michael seized the bloodstained metallic hand of the monstrosity, clawed its way to the edge of the table. Any more provocation, Michael leaned forward and tased the wires back into submission. You have completed the maintenance checklist and may proceed with the salvage. Well done. End tape. Thanks for letting me join the party. I'll try not to disappoint. On Tuesday, Michael received a bonus of $500 for his salvage work on Molten Freddy. With this bonus, as well as the money he previously earned on Monday, Michael was finally able to do some real work for his pizzeria, even upgrading his catalog to Stan's budget tech. That's right, someone's moving up on the world. With it, Michael was able to finally place a true stage at the forefront of his pizzeria, complete with lights and speakers. Additionally, he threw away the literal garbage on his stage for some secondary animatronic characters. They were nowhere close to the advanced toy robot line. In fact, they were less advanced than even the original Fazbear band was. But they were at the very least robotic entertainers that could perform basic instructions. His band included the elegant Happy Frog. Move over, Freddy Fazbear! Happy Frog is the new star of the show! Mr. Hippo, Pigpatch, and Nedbear. The latter had a noticeable liability risk. <laughs> Stranger danger! But as long as Michael enacted the proper safety precautions, it should be fine. He even started to expand his restaurant's size and scope, allowing him to put more attractions in. He got rid of the ball pits and duck ponds in favor of cane dispensers and arcade machines. Interesting machines called Fruity Maze and Midnight Motorist, and a candy dispensing retro robot called Candy Cadet. All in all, Michael had to admit, the place was starting to look good. While he had never any attention to make the business profitable, he had to admit that making it so would at the very least not draw suspicion from locals. As much as he hated to admit it, having children visit location just might more monsters to come lurking in the back alley to get inside. But with any business came financial woes. And 
While Michael hated many things he adopted from his father, his sense in business was currently a luxury. Michael decided on creating a small fund of backup cash just in case of emergencies. And to do so, he started to offer sponsorship deals at his location. There were a few takers like Mario's Plungers and Lally's Lollies, each offering a decent chunk of change to have their brand plastered all over his restaurant. Once all the advertisements were placed, and Mike was satisfied, he once again left the basement office and opened his doors for business. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Downstairs, Michael once again had begun to do his managerial service for the day, albeit this time making himself quite aware of his surroundings. He kept his eyes and ears on his flanks and left the motion tracking device on to keep track of any wandering creatures in his deletion shaft. After all, where do you think Michael put Mullen Freddy? Down here. In this. The molten amalgamation was slithering its way through the vents. Despite its apparent lack of any form of physical support, it was still able to maneuver around with ease. As it wandered, Michael could hear the beast cackling like a broken hyena. Final Freddy has always been an interesting addition to the franchise, and this marks the first time in the series it makes it apparent that there is more than meets the eye with it. While he was no more than just another one of their clowns at this location, here he holds the honor of being the first monster Michael encounters. Other details will also crop up about him that further sparks a mystery that lingers around the character that we can't get into now. But it does beg the question, who is Funtime Freddy? There is no background information about him besides his initial designs of Funtime Animatronic. There's only minor evidence to suggest he is possessed there's just as much to suggest he's independent of a human soul. And with his current personality clearly spiraling deeper into madness, it's surprising how the rest of Enric and Clonbrook even allowed him to lead them. Unless, perhaps, it wasn't by choice. Once again, diving deeper into theory territory. But consider this. When Baby was in charge of the Innard Hive, they adopted a metaphoric name and wore a neutral mask. But now that Funded Freddy is leading the pack, it took on his appearance and his name. Circus Baby was, without a doubt, the clear dominant mind whilst in Innard. But it's almost as without Baby to be an opposing force. Nothing can stop Funded Freddy from being the new alpha in the pack. Agony and pain course through its vein, expediting its mental spiral. The voices in his head, the souls of the dead, made the devil primal. Unfortunately for the preternatural predator, 
Michael is able to consistently dodge his advancements through tactical audio placements. Michael is unaware of what sound he is making on the control panel, but whatever sound he plays in the vents, it lures Molten Freddy there like a moth to fire, allowing him once again to log out and close up shop for the night. As Michael once again made his rounds during the closing hours, he repeated the process of checking the back alley for any animatronics that could be found there. This time, he didn't have to search long to find something lurking in shadows. A decaying golden rabbit was leaning by the trash cans in an awkward position. Michael didn't need the aroma of blood and smell of rotting flesh to know there was a corpse underneath that mascot suit. He had finally found him. It was his father, William Afton. Clearly damned from the fire, Mike had started a few months ago with Fazbear Fright. But unfortunately, he was still alive. He had come back. The flesh from his rotting carcass had either been completely burnt off or melted onto the endoskeleton body of the spring animatronic suit. His bones were now visible through several gashes on the animatronic body, his left forearm completely missing and instead of bone had been sharpened on the end. disgusted Michael to no end, despite he himself being an animate cadaver just like his father. But he once again carried him inside to be salvaged. What a deceptive calling. I knew it was a lie the moment I heard it, obviously. But it is intriguing nonetheless. With another animatronic salvage comes another bonus, this time for $1,000. I can only assume Michael viewed that value as $1,000 too much, but he wasn't going to say no to some extra spending money. Using his newly earned revenue, he once again started to build up his assets and really turn the pizzeria into something straight out of the early 80s. He bought a large deluxe concert stage and even a smaller mini stage right next to it, a la Pirate's Cove in the original Fazbear restaurants. He ditched the mediocre melody animatronics for something more nostalgic and modern. He found some refurbished vintage Freddy Fazbear animatronics in the Smiles and Servos Incorporated catalog. No idea how that's legal. And set the stage. Rockstar Freddy, Bonnie, and Chica, and Foxy were all on display. Although he didn't have anybody to take the sideshow stage yet, no issue really. He can just have Mr. Hippo take the stage till he can find something better up there. The animatronic band wasn't the only deluxe renovation he was making. He started to refit his entire pizzeria with more attractions in hopes of gaining more customers. Basketball hoops, jungle gym playground, a neon jukebox, some limited fruit punch, clown robots. He even invested some new security doors for the establishment. I guess old habits die hard. But it could also be the case of Michael being concerned over health and safety after all. He is secretly stashing animatronic aberrations in his basement. Not to mention if he becomes too liable, he could find himself in the under end of a lawsuit. No, seriously. In Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria Simulator, Michael can get sued by patrons because his restaurant has too high of a liability risk. Have I mentioned I love this game yet? Okay, so here's the great thing about these lawsuits, and it's one of the things I love about FNAF games. You see, Scott Cawthon is a master of what those in the gaming industry refer to as the little things. Because these lawsuits could have been left blank or filled with legal jargon, completely ignored by the player and thus ignored by the developer. Nah. 
That's not how Scott Cawthon rolls. Instead, there are several unique lawsuits you can get based on Michael's liability rating and what he has installed in his pizzeria. And some of these are incredible. Now, for your hearing pleasure, I shall read one of the best court documents in the game. <clears throat> in the District Court of Utah, 5th District, Washington County, Plaintiff Parent Unions Against Unsafe Atrocities of Mechanical Abominations v. Defendant Fazbear Entertainment, Inc. P-U-A-U-A-A-M-A hereby complains against Defendant Fazbear Entertainment, Inc. and seeks relief as follows. A young girl was left impossibly and grossly traumatized due to the negligence of Defendant Fazbear Entertainment, Inc. She witnessed the head of an animatronic fall off and roll across the ground. When asked if she was okay, she screamed. Staff asked the head not to ask any more questions. <laughs> the trauma put the young girl in a coma for 10 weeks. When she awoke from a coma, she had been effectively lobotomized. <laughs> She relies on her parents and health aids for all functions in her life, except for watching TV, hanging out with her girlfriends, and going to the mall. <laughs> but for the severely reckless and careless actions of Fazer Entertainment Inc., she would not have suffered such an egregious life and altering injury. End quote. <laughs> Okay, so what I love about this is that this is clearly a frivolous lawsuit in every way, right? This is obviously a scam. But what I love is that you can take this entire lawsuit in two ways. Either the girl is so bad at faking her injuries that her parents' lawyers had to include that note of her being able to function perfectly fine, or she's the most airheaded valley girl that her parents believe her basic behavior is the equivalent of someone who had been lobotomized. This isn't even the most frivolous lawsuit you can get in the game. Special mention goes to the lawsuit which claims a boy broke 100 bones while patronizing Mike's Pizzeria, but didn't notice said broken bones until he got home. Mike has an option to either settle or fight these lawsuits, or Mike will have to pay for legal fees. My only criticism is that we never did see the trials or deliberations of fighting these fraudulent lawsuits. And I would pay so much money to see those complaints be fought in court? Could you imagine a professional medical personnel being called to testify with his professional medical opinion on these ridiculous claims? Can you just imagine what a doctor would say? Wouldn't it be great to hear someone with a medical background give a professional opinion? Oh, you already know where this is going. Okay, so this is all true. I have a brother who went to medical school and has experience as a nurse and physical therapist, and I asked him to give me his reaction and opinion on these two lawsuits. His was his reaction to the coma lobotomy girl. Quote, I have no words. The first one is ridiculous as far as being so scared she's rendered incapable of function. That is just not a thing. I responded, Is it possibly so traumatized that you could be described as lobotomized? brother again. Not lobotomized, but potentially catatonic. Me again. Would you describe the girl from the first lawsuit as someone suffering from catatonia? My brother. Everything except for going to the mall and hanging out with girlfriends. If you're lobotomized or catatonic, you don't move or function independently. End quote. His reaction to the second lawsuit was even better. Quote, for the second, if you broke 100 bones and had internal bleeding, then you would most likely die, let alone make it home. Me, being a mediator in this, wanting to meet halfway, I asked, What if you broke 50 bones? Would it be possible to not notice 50 broken bones in a prolonged period of time? My amazing articulate brother. No, lol. You notice one broken bone almost immediately. Shout out to my brother, Austin Black, for giving me his professional medical opinion. I hope you derive as much joy from this exchange as I did. As Michael reopens his pizzeria for the day, he sits down in his basement office, having to contend with both his father and his new sprat-prap state. 
as well as his monster, Bolton Freddy. The added threat now makes containing the monstrosity in the cage more difficult. Michael attends to his managerial duties, every once in a while, he hears his father's voice croaking from the vents. From the darkness, his father at first seems to be talking to himself, but his comments and dialogue clearly indicates he's talking to his son, then through the echo chamber. You may not recognize me at first, but I assure you, it's still me. It's also interesting to note that with the exception of the beginning of Sisterification, this is the first glimpse into the personality of William after we've ever gotten. Despite knowing certain details about this enigmatic egomaniac, such as the fact he was a co-owner of Fast Entertainment, had a family, the CEO of Action Robotics, we know a little about him as a person despite surface-level traits. Such is the biggest question many have had concerning William as a character for years. What caused him to become the Springtrap Killer? How did, on the surface, an upstanding man of society become a child serial killer? We do get an indicative indication of his bloodlust being a blinding factor for him, as while he may be aware of the fact that the pizzeria is nothing but a lull to trap him and others, we decide to play along anyway. How can I resist a promise? Such as this. According to the man who voiced William Afton himself, PJ Haywood, Scott's description of the character was that of a snake oil salesman, a pragmatic and masterful liar and manipulator. This is an element further elaborated on in the FNAF novel trilogy, which I would recommend if you wanted to waste your finite time in this plane of existence, but in those stories it does show that William has a flair for the performing arts. Describing the personalities he displays as nothing more than characters to portray. But one thing about him has always been consistent. His bloodlust and fascination with death. Not only the feeling of fear that drips from those who suffer from his hand. A primary motivation he had to commit the atrocities in the first place. But also how it changed others. By those whom he killed and managed to linger on the land of living and those whose victims' death were impacted on the most. And in this case, he was very impressed with his handiwork. The fun times were already his creation, and seeing the monsters of tangled wires and optics covered in the remains of dry blood and human flesh must have made him very, very proud. Perhaps the same level of fatherhood and proudness he had for Michael when he killed his younger brother. Now, there are those that suggest the death of the crying child, aka Michael's younger brother and William's youngest son, was the primary motivation for why he became a serial killer. This answer, however, is incorrect for a variety of reasons. The main reason being that whomever inhabited the marionette was killed by William long before his youngest had expired. And both Sister Location and FNAF 4 hint that Elizabeth had already died by the hands of Circus Baby before crying child's death. Confirming that the creation of the Phantom Amtronks had already been completed and placed in storage. No, no. He wasn't someone who had higher goals of purpose. No noble pursuit was ever in his makeup to begin with. He was a sociopath. He viewed his family, the others whose lives were ruined by him. They were tools for his use or pleasure. It is not your flesh that sustains me. It is your fear. And Michael knew he was still deriving pleasure from his atrocious actions. Those that suffered by his hands still remained. He knew that they never found peace, they never would. There was a part of him that probably wanted to end everything right here, destroy his father and stop the misery of so many people whose lives were stolen from him. But he knew that would be cutting it short. There were still a few monsters left on his checklist that needed to be rounded up. Begrudgingly, Mike bit his rotten lip as he closed the door behind him 
as his managerial duties were completed for the day. By the Emperor's blade, created shades preferred life after death. As closing hours arrive, Michael wants to attend to his special duties under paragraph 4. Opening up the door to the alleyway, he looked by the dumpster to see if anything was waiting to come inside. And there was someone. The last member of the after family who still remained on this physical world. His sister, Elizabeth Afton, had arrived. Although he now knew that the monster standing in front of him was no more than a deadly siren, who used her voice to placate others and lure them into a false sense of security. Will Michael may have inherited his father's look and charisma, and perhaps even his violent behavior when he was younger. It appears Elizabeth was the one who truly adopted her father's silver tongue. Her circus baby shell looked worse for wear. She still resembled a clown, just like a scissor location, but this time her facial features included a Palish blue face, reddish pink lips with some blue areas that were slightly due to decay. Sunken eyes glowed a yellow green. Her hair was almost realistic, various reddish orange, light blue, yellow colored twos forming pigtails in her scalp. Despite some missing pieces, she still appeared to be functional, just like Molten Freddy, despite the fact that she seemed to be kept together with various knots and ties in her body as well as other scraps and parts that Michael recognized as part of Circus Babe's entertainment rental facility. Her right hand had been replaced with a claw. The claw had spikes on the inside of it, possibly the claw that was used to capture and kill Elizabeth in the first place. She was also wearing a tiara and a pair of rose skates, something she never had from the original Circus Babe. Michael looked down at what had become of his sister. Must have filled him with sorrow and what had become of her. But perhaps a small under pride to see what he had risen above as well. Just like his father before, he took the now named Scrap Baby by the leg and dragged her into Faith Fazbear's pizza place. If you've been following our storyline, you may have been asking a very obvious question. In such a location, Anna was a combination of all the Funday animatronics down in Cirque's Baby's entertainment and rental. Baby, Ballora, Funday Foxy, and Funday Freddy, and Bon Bon. But now Baby seems to have been separated from the conglomeration, and Funday Freddy now seems controlled. What happened? Well, that answer can be found in the teasers that were on Scott Kim's website. For reasons unknown, Scott chose not to include this detail in the actual game, but during the development period between this location and Pizza Freedom Simulator, Scott's two websites at the time, scottgames.com and fnafworld.com, were having a conversation in their source code. The conversation was between Baby and an unknown second voice, who was either a single Amtrak from Enter or various voices from the Hive. The conversation goes as such. For simplicity's sake, I'll refer to each voice as Baby and Ennard. Quote, Ennard, you are crowding us. Baby, be quiet. Ennard, you can't tell us what to do anymore. Baby, yes I can. You will do everything that I tell you to do. Ennard, we outnumber you. without me. Edward. Haha! Say goodbye to our friend. Baby. I can put myself back together. End quote. It seems that over the course of time that Ennard wandered in the sewers in the outside world took a toll on the morale of the hive. As they went on, the charm and persuasiveness of Baby perhaps had started to waver and 
animatronics realize how much they've been manipulated for her own gain. Whatever the case, she'd been exiled and left to rot without their help, forced to put herself back together from scratch. Given her parts, it seems though Baby went back to her original home below the surface to find parts and repairs to put herself back together. The Empress was third, the silent daughter, previously led the devil's herd. She screamed and cried as she was disowned by her kind. She wished the horse to be her. Now, before we close out, I want to drop a theory that doesn't get discussed enough, I think. Which is the nature of the conversation that occurred between Ennard and Baby. As mentioned before, Fonda Freddy is a surprising character to see reappear in FFPS. After all, even if Ender and Baby had fallen out, wouldn't it make more apparent sense for Balor to take the more dominant role? She was a major part of this location, much larger than Fonda Freddy was, and appeared to be on a similar level of awareness of Baby about her surroundings and conscience. Yet Fonda Freddy was the one in control. Now. Personally, I do subscribe to the theory that the main reason this occurred is because of fan reaction. There is enough evidence to support that Funny Freddy was the fan favorite of this location, and people loved Kellen Goff's performance of the character. So this could just be a simple way to bring a character the fans love back. But I don't think that was the only reason this occurred. I think there is more below the surface. Consider the conversation between Ennard and Baby. What if, instead of it being a conversation between Baby and the inner conglomerate, it was a conversation between Baby and Father Freddy alone? It would explain why Baby always addressed the other voices as a singular person, as well as why the voice responds in the plural. Father Freddy has bonds bond, so regardless, he does have support from others. He would use plural. We would also explain why Funded Freddy said, Say goodbye to our friend. This line is undeniably Funded Freddy as it plays on the line he said in this location. Bon Bon, say hi to our friends. But it's also a clever way to both hint and reveal what happened to Ennard. Reminder, this conversation was meant to tease Freddy Fazbear's pizzeria simulator, starting with an obscure voice of Ennard before making it apparent that and obvious that Funded Freddy was the one speaking would be a clever way of hinting at what will appear in the game. One final theory. An element of FNAF that has become a topic in current lore discussion is the rules and elements of the supernatural powers in FNAF. In this case, I'm going to talk about a theory that I believe to be true, and said that seems to be supported by the recent release of Security Breach, that being the degradation of effects of prolonged possession. With exception to those with powerful souls, Michael and William are perfect examples of that, it seems that those who possess inanimate vessels for long periods of time slowly begin to shift and change over the course of time. Baby would never have hurt Michael as Elizabeth, but in her current form, she seems to have come up into the pizzeria to complete her purpose of harming others. It seems that the game's hinted that prolonged possession leads to both physical and mental decay. We already know that the original animatronics would leak black-like blood substance from their eye sockets. And even the animatronics in Security Breach slowly wither over the course of a singular night. So physical degradation is an obvious side effect of possession, but what of a mental toll? I think Baby and Flutter Freddy show the mental stress taken from prolonged possession. While theories suggest that Baby and Freddy's insanity is a side effect of Funtime animatronic programming, I believe that is only a tip of the iceberg. Yes, this is probably part of why they went insane and became homicidal, but it wasn't the main reason. It was just something that sped up the inevitable consequence. The supernatural in FNAF is based off the powers of emotion. In the Fazbear Fright novels, it explains that emotions leave an imprint on the world, the strongest emotion being that of misery. 
into agony. It is the reason that why it is the reason why when you walk to a cemetery you become uncomfortable and cold. Being surrounded by death and misery of families losing a loved one has left an impression on the area that exists long after those emotions were created. Because Elizabeth, no more than a little girl, is not truly a killer like her father. But degradation of her life and the mental toll that would occur from both having memories of dying by the hands of a robot and the robot killing a child. Those two conflicting minds and memories merging into one. Is no wonder why babies become daddy's little monster? A memory of fickle thing, her torch no one could endure. Her soul's pride studied her demise. Princess was left impure. And with that, I believe today's episode is over. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to stay updated, please consider subscribing, following, or sharing this podcast. It truly helps us broaden our reach. Consider following us on Twitter at Fazbear Podcast or supporting us on our Buy Me a Coffee page using the link in the description below. Next time, we will go through the final days of Michael's managerial adventure at his pizzeria, as well as exploring the hidden lore details, such as the hidden minigame storylines, and what could their symbolic meaning be, before concluding with the finale of the Atten Family Trilogy of Games. I'm super excited to get into it. Once again, I have been your host, Nick. And thank you for listening. Have a good night.
man's plate stood. To his right, led to a forest of red trees beyond. As he walked through the woods, he occasionally spotted a shroud or cluster of lights. White sprites and spherical orbs dancing through the treetops. Purple, red, and the occasional yellow and blue. When they passed by him, he was reminded of more peaceful times in his life. His mother's kisses, his friends laughing, his sisters drawing, and his brother's smile. Emotions were euphoric in their joyousness and irresistible in their effect. Eventually, he began to hear the quiet humming of a man. Followed the melodic tune, it was a call bring him onwards. He eventually found a pond of transparent crimson red. He looked down, but could not spot his reflection. He looked over to the other side of the pond, where he saw an old man sitting on a chair with a fishing pole in his hand. He walked over and inquired who I was, and I responded, My name is Old Man Consequence. I guard the gates of heaven.